the disturbing attitudes. We had the seed of the of the disturbing attitudes, and we had the object that we encountered. Detrimental influences, such as friends who encourage us to do other things. And then verbal stimuli, books, lectures, and specifically with us, the media. And so how we, on one hand, recognize the influence of the media on us, uh, particularly advertising. And yet, on the other hand, we don't prevent ourselves from becoming engaged in it. In other words, we recognize the influence and we also stop and read the ads and read the billboards and, you know, look at the junk mail. And we say, oh, you know, we're so controlled by, you know, Madison Avenue, but then we kind of participate in it too because it is quite possible if we had a little bit of, of discipline to um, to not be so involved, you know to not get the magazines, to not read the ads if we are reading an article in a magazine, to not look at the at the junk mail and the catalogs. It's possible, you know. <laughs> in the same way with the objects, you know, that it's possible to encounter the objects that could make delusion and, you know, disturbing attitudes arise. But we don't have to pay attention to those objects yeah so it is possible although I don't know if anybody ever does it to go to the store and buy only what you set out to buy <laughs> yeah okay this is this is you know a real thing you know I hope people like we're being more mindful this last this last week about the influence of the media you know, another thing, really, as part of your practice, because Dharma is very related to daily life, is before you go shopping, you know, first of all, ask yourselves, what is it that you really have to get, as opposed to what you feel like getting? And then to go in and just get that, and try and leave the store without getting anything else. Yeah, I think it's a real good practice. I mean, it, it's a kind of mind training to, that prevents us from letting our mind getting ta getting taken away by uh, the objects that we encounter. Yeah. And similarly, you know, where do we go to shop when we need one thing? Do we go to the shopping mall to get the one thing, or we, do we go to the store around the corner where that one thing is? Yeah, because that is, you know, depending upon what situations we put ourselves in, we encounter other objects. And the whole idea of the shopping mall is to make you buy ten times more than you ever thought. So as soon as you go there, you've almost had it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I do have compassion for the people who own shopping malls, and I do wish them well. <laughs> you know, I don't want them to be out on the streets out of po because of poverty, but... You know, aside from that, <laughs> I, you know, it's really something to look at, how, how we relate to uh, shops and stores and everything else. Yeah. How often we choose to go shopping, what we choose to get when we're there, what types of shops we go to. Yeah, we learn a lot about ourselves by watching this, becoming really aware of it, yeah. how conditioned we are. And then the next one was habit, okay? And so the force of habit as being a major factor in making our disturbing attitudes arise. And so remember when we talked about karma 
and we talked about the four results of karma, and one of them was results similar to the cause in terms of your habitual behavior. In other words, if you get in the habit of lying, then from one life to the next, it's easier to lie. If you get in the habit of telling people off this life, the next life, it's going to be real easy to do it. Well, it's the same thing with the, with the disturbing attitudes. If we get in the habit of being angry, then we're going to be angry a lot. If we get in the habit of being jealous, we're going to be jealous a lot. You know? And so it's really a thing of anger. And you can see it sometimes how, you know, the mind is so restless and it's looking for something to be angry at. Yeah, I mean, the anger energy is there. We're so habituated with it. But we just, we've got to find something to be angry at. And we'll find something, don't worry. Yeah, or the attachment energy is there. We're so habituated to our attachment. And then we find something to be attached to. Yeah, so out of habit. And then uh, the next one, the last one, is called um, inappropriate attention. Okay, that's one way to, to trans, that's a technical translation, inappropriate attention. What it, and attention is, you know, one mental factor that we have at work all the time. And attention's a very powerful one because depending upon what we put our attention on, it's gonna determine a lot what happens. Inappropriate attention is when we concentrate on the things either the objects themselves that make our disturbing attitudes arise or wrong thoughts about those objects. Okay? So we're paying attention. It's like, what do you pay attention to during the day? We don't pay attention to the hundred good things that go right. We pay attention to the one thing that goes wrong. Yeah? That's inappropriate attention. It's screened attention and because we choose to pay attention you know to the guy who cut us off on the highway it ruins our whole day even though you know 20 people may have been very very nice to us that day but because we pay attention to one thing and not to another one and what we're paying attention to is an inappropriate object then we generate a lot of disturbing attitudes so we pay attention not only to the objects, you know, like, you know, the ice cream <laughs> or whatever it is, but we'll pay attention to our ideas, our interpretations about our objects, and we get into a lot of storytelling, okay? The Tibetans, there's this other word I'm going to bring in here. It's not specifically list, listed, but it's really relevant when we're talking about inappropriate intention. It's this, the Tibetans, the Tibetan term is namtok. And it's, Lama Yeshe used to call it superstition. A more polite translation is um, preconception or presupposition. Okay? And Lama used to call it superstition because, you know, superstition in the West is when you believe something that doesn't exist and then you get all worked up about it. And Lama was saying that that's exactly what we do. Yeah? You know, you see somebody, some kind of ordinary person, and then your mind, you know, gets all worked up. They're so gorgeous. They're so wonderful. They're talented. They're sensitive. They're this, 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 this. And then, ah, you know? And he says it's total superstition. 
that. It doesn't exist there. But we believe that something that doesn't exist does exist, and it affects us. Yeah, so that's why he called it superstition. But it's, it's another way of looking at it is just preconception. We form lots and lots of opinions and preconceptions about things, lots of interpretations about how things are and who people are. And then we constantly use our inappropriate attention to focus on those preconceptions. Yeah. So, um, you know, we focus on prejudices. We develop a prejudice, which is a kind of preconception. And then what do we do is we focus on it and we mull it over again and again and again, this prejudice, and deepen it and make sure it gets really firm and hard. Yeah, so that we're not going to talk to that person because they're just an awful person, even though we've never met them before or talked to them before. Yeah, But we have a conception and we pay attention to it and we dwell on it and then it makes the disturbing attitudes arise. Yeah. And we are chock-a-block full of these preconceptions. Okay? Um, just just so many things that, that we believe. Like I was saying, one of our big problems is we believe everything we think. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's true. I mean, we're just so full of opinions and ideas and advice and prejudice and, you know, just in terms of, of how we look at anybody in any situation. Yeah. And that's the frame that we look at things through and we pay attention to that. So yesterday a real interesting thing came up in Genlam Rimba's teaching that this relates to. And somebody raised the point to Genla of, um, you know, in, in the West we see so much of, you know, people have been traumatized from when they were very young and so, so much of therapy is involved in reliving and re-experiencing those, those early life abuses and traumas and clearing them up and working them out um, to release the anger or the whatever emotion was associated with them. Yeah. And I was talking to Leslie this morning and she was saying, well, even since Genla's previous visit, everybody's been really trying to convince him, you know, that, that we're, we're like, so messed up because of our of our childhood experience, and Genla, as, as I heard somebody say at one conference, is if we look at childhood now as something you have to recover from, <laughs> yeah, and this is this is our idea, our cultural idea, yeah, and so everybody's trying to go back in their childhood and remember this and that and what their parents said. And, what happened here and how they felt and, you know, and there's all this emphasis in, in order to heal that you have to go back and remember all these things and re-experience it. And so Genla was saying yesterday, the past is the past, don't think about it, forget it. <laughs> and like everybody's going, wait, wait a minute, Genla, wait a minute, Genla, you know, my therapist doesn't say that. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, of course, people were sitting there very politely, but I think inside there was, you know, this definite cultural difference going on, you know, because here's Genlan. You, t- you talk about early traumas. I mean, he, he was 
I don't know, maybe in his teens or early 20s, and all of a sudden he had to leave his whole country, leave his family behind, go to a strange country, he doesn't know the language, he doesn't have any money, he's a refugee, you know, doesn't have anything, yeah? can't see his family again, his mother dies before he can see, see her again, and you know, he's cut off from everybody and everything and doesn't know what's happening. Yeah, and so you talk about, you know, early traumas. Well, Genla had one. Yeah, but you look at Genla today, and you know, Genla isn't all, you know, you know, kind of stuck in, well, in 1959, you know. <laughs> yeah, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, you know. I mean, it isn't an object of his daily life um, thought. Yeah, it happened. He recognized it. He didn't go into denial, but he went on in his life. But in our culture, our namtok, our preconception, is that these things are real serious and important, and you don't forget them no way, no how. And so because of thinking of that in that way, we make ourselves not forget them. Yeah, and we go back and continually relive them again and again and again. I don't think Genla goes back and relives 1959 very much. Yeah, but we'll go back and we live, our, we relive our 1959. You know, sometimes on a daily basis. Yeah. So this is the preconception, and then the inappropriate attention that hooks onto it, and then it makes the disturbing attitudes arise because we'll go back into those same things. But now, you know, I mean, it's boring just to think about them all the time, so we spice them up, we flavor them up. And especially when you have a therapist who's really encouraging you to, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not criticizing therapy. I really, there's a lot of very good things. No. <laughs> what I'm trying to... There's a lot of very good things that go on in therapy, but I think that sometimes there's also social pressure, you know, and that what you experience in therapy is also influenced by the preconceptions of the therapist. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of good things going on in therapy, but what I'm saying is that it's not this foolproof, unfallible you know, sacred method. That's that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying there's nothing good about it because there's a lot of good things about it. Okay. And similarly, I'm not saying that our early childhood experiences didn't affect us. They definitely did affect us. What I am saying is how much they affect us depends on how much attention we put on them. Okay. And so the more we relive them and go into them, and if we feel pressured to feel a lot of emotions around them, then we will feel a lot of emotions, and they will become quite prominent in our mind. I asked um, Geshe Jamyang. He teaches at the center in Olympia, and he's also a psychologist, and he counsels Asians, and he counsels Westerners. And I asked him about this about early childhood experiences, you know, and I said, when you counsel Asians, do you go through all this in the same way as people usually do with Westerners? And he said, no, it's not necessary. That in the Asian viewpoint, you know, particularly when people have grown up as Buddhists, people kind of accept that there's suffering in the world and they accept that there's change. 
And so these things may have happened. And he deals with people who grew up in Cambodia. You know, I mean, our childhood traumas are nothing compared to these people. Yeah. And, you know, it's not always necessary to go back and remember those things. But he said with Westerners, he thinks that that the reason early childhood things affects Westerners so much is because we are taught that they're supposed to affect us a lot. And so from the time we're young, you know, we kind of grow up remembering the things. And then when we're adults, you know, so much emphasis. You know, like you look at the whole inner wounded child thing. There's so much emphasis. Everybody's supposed to go back and remember when they were an infant and when they were three and when they were six. Yeah? And so because of the the belief, this common belief, this preconception, and because of paying a lot of attention to it, and then paying a lot of attention to the things that we remember, then we make ourselves feel a certain way. Yeah? So what I'm getting at is that it doesn't have to be this way. We may feel that it has to be this way. I experienced this and this and this, and therefore blah, 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 blah. But what I'm saying is that if we think that way, it becomes that way. But it doesn't have to be that way because we don't have to think that way. Yeah? So it depends what our preconceptions are and what preconceptions we pay attention to. Yeah? I'm kind of talking about this. What would be the difference between, like, or maybe there isn't a difference, conditioning? I think our our conditioning creates a lot of our preconceptions. I mean, our con- I mean, that, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, conditioning. If you, how do you get out of conditioning? You yeah. Have to figure out what the cause of it is. Just, I don't. Or you just quit. <laughs> yeah. Yet, from a Buddhist viewpoint, you don't have the the cause of it is the disturbing attitudes and karma. So from a Buddhist viewpoint, remembering the specific things in childhood, you know, it may help, but it's not really necessary. Exactly, exactly, you know. I mean, whatever happened to us in childhood, how we interpret it, because you'll find two kids who have the same thing happen to them in childhood. One kid will come out glowing from it, another kid will come out wounded. Why? You know, well, this happens because of the way they look at the situation. Yeah? And that's a lot of, has to do with their conditioning from previous lives, their karma from previous lives. Yeah? Their habitual way of thinking. It's not just the situation. And so, you know, a lot of the things that affected us strongly when we were children, they did so because part of us bought into that. Yeah, because I'm sure we can all remember situations that some people, like if we explained it, they'd say, wow, how did you ever survive that? And yet to us it was no big deal. Somehow we made it okay. It was okay. Yeah. And then other things that were like, we can even look back upon them now and look and they were really small things, but like, wow, you know, this is so vibrant in my memory. So it's not an objective reality. Yeah, this all has to do with what we, how much energy and value and, you know, everything we put into all of it. Okay? 
let me just talk a little bit about the conditioning. Yeah? So, um, conditioning, I mean, we're conditioned by past lives. We're also conditioned a lot this lifetime. Okay? But again, different kids react differently to their conditioning. Yeah? I mean, I was thinking about it um, a couple of days ago, that ever since I was really young, whenever people made really hostile statements about different groups of people, you know, about people of another religion or another race or whatever, whenever I heard that, something in me was just incredibly sad and repelled by that kind of way of speaking. Yeah. And yet, other people, I'm sure, you know, would hear the same way of, of speaking, and they would say, yeah, this is definitely right. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is real true values, you know? And so, kind of, how you grow up reacting to those things has to do with your previous conditioning, you know? And somebody else may have had that, you know, heard those same things and gotten angry. And somebody else may have heard the same things and felt satisfied, and you know? And so, it's not just the situations, but it's, our previous conditioning, our karma, and our present disturbing attitudes, how we relate to the experiences that then determine, you know, what, what happens from there. Yeah. So I think this is really important. This is getting back into this whole thing about cause and dependent arising, and that we look at things as independent objective realities. But they aren't. They're things that are produced by causes. And if you change one of the causes, that thing is not going to be the same. It's going to be something different. And that nothing has just one cause. Everything has many, 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 many causes. Yeah? So you change any one of many, many, many causes, that thing changes. So it's not like anything has to exist. It just exists because there were all the causes that made it exist. You change one thing, that isn't there. So that that's in terms of all of our moods, all of our feelings, all of, you know, our internal phenomena that happen to us. They aren't solid, objective things. They arise just because there's causes. Yeah, you change the causes and those things aren't there. So they're not these, you know... Followed stuff. I think that, I don't know, like what you were talking about, about dirty and stuff, that always mm-hmm. comes from every time you're dilemma or something, especially the annual part. And I, you know, I'm trying to like come to some peace with it because I don't, I don't think that that has been told for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find that. There, the therapy thinking feels some gaps that Buddhism doesn't feel in my life. Mm-hmm. Helps me explain certain things that I couldn't just put with karma and do it at that because my intellect is not ready. Mm-hmm. Like I have to understand why and I have to get to it. It's like I have to be more responsible. Like karma to say for me, well, that's karma from another life. It's kind of being responsible. Mm-hmm. Because there is something that I'm actually doing that is creating that, 
and if budget is tested as coming from before and me not having anything to do with, with it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. responsible? Mm -hmm. And I think that the only kind of piece that I am getting at is to be able to use all the psychological tools uh, that can be given by a therapeutic psychiatrist or whatever mm -hmm. from this part of the world and use it at an intellectual level without believing at an emotional level that I do have to be angry or that I do have to be. Mm -hmm. You know, like like the codependent thing that I went to, like I was like, mm -hmm. I was feeling codependent when I first joined school, but I'm not doing it anymore. But, mm -hmm. I, but it's because I dealt with it for so long. <laughs> I kind of like, oh, that's what it was. And it's mm -hmm. over. But I feel like if I took that Buddhist point of view that you're talking about, mm -hmm. of uh, forget it because of the past, I would be lying to myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have to go in and deal with it. Uh -huh. And it's over because I dealt with it. It's not like, like the Lama said. I, I bet he dealt with it when it happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have a question is maybe therapy is giving us a tool to deal with it. And maybe the tool they're giving us is strong. It's not good because they're telling us to be angry, it's okay. But I think that we need tools to figure out this. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not an advocate. I'm not saying that Buddhism is can do the same thing that therapy can do. Yeah. I know I think Buddhism has a very different aim and a goal and that therapy is good for some things and Buddhism is good for other things and that there is an overlapping area in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also the thing about saying this is due to karma isn't a way of um, shining it off and prepackaging it and shelving it, you know, because, I mean, somebody can do that and say, oh, it's just karma, but then they might not really believe that in their heart and then the thing still is going to eat away at them. But I think if somebody really, you know, thinks deeply about it and in their heart accepts something as karma, then it can have a very different effect. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that that saying something is due to karma is, is a flippant way of dealing with it. It may be something that doesn't jive with us with where we're at right now. But I think um, maybe it's also given a cultural upbringing. It's something that, that could. Yeah? Um, I kind of think of this idea of habit as sort of a main link between the past and the present. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, like you say, it's kind of hard to relate to you say it's not karma that's it. But um, the habitual patterns mm -hmm. may have been caused by who knows what in the past and, and I feel a lot are here now. Mm -hmm. and they can be changed. I mean, with great effort, hopefully. Yeah. But, I mean, so that's what I see is the way I can look at karma in the present and that's when I again. Yeah. What you're looking at is I think is more the habit of the um of the disturbing attitudes or the habit of the constructive attitude. Yeah. yeah. Um and karma is more the habitual way of acting. 
Yeah, I mean they're related, but there's there's a, a slight difference. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean just the whole thing of it being habit instead of it being something solid. You know, so instead of saying I am an angry person, which just makes everything you know so concrete and unavoidable. You know, if we say I I have a habit of getting angry. Well, a habit is something that's just a sequence of similar events that is a conditioned phenomenon and can be changed. Yeah? Okay. So if we say it's a habit, like I have a habit of getting angry, okay, a habit is just a series of similar events and they're all conditioned, they're all they all arise out of causes. And so because they arise out of causes, they can be changed. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a real different, uh, subtle way in terms of how we speak to ourselves. I have a habit of getting angry or I'm a short-tempered person. Yeah? Uh, we think they're getting at the same thing, but we're telling ourselves very different things. One is, I am this, you know, and everything is solid and concrete and inherently existent. That's my personality. That's my character. It can't change. And the other is, I'm this very fluid thing with lots of different conditionings. And this one I want to diminish and other ones I want to increase. Yeah? So it's a really different way of looking at who we are. Because as soon as we start looking at our feelings as these concrete things that um, arose as independent objective entities, then it becomes very difficult to, to free ourselves from them. Yeah. God, I need a tape recorder in my brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at it, look at ourselves as, as fluid people. Yeah, as accumulations of different kinds of conditioning instead of as concrete personalities. There's a, a thing in Singapore, they say it's easier to change a dynasty than to change a character. Yeah? Wow. Yeah? Huh? That kind of view, you know, when we look at ourselves like that, that preconception and paying incorrect attention to that preconception prevents us from growing because we tell ourselves we can't. Yeah. This is my character. This is my personality. What can I do about it? Right. right. And this is why, you know, when, when we start to recognize that and then we see, you know, all that, it's not necessary at all. Yeah. Why don't we just tell ourselves every morning, I have the Buddha nature, I have the Buddha nature. I can become a Buddha. You know? Instead of, you know, I'm so filled with anger, I'm so hung up, I'm so, you know? I mean, this is the thing of attention. What do we tell ourselves? Which, which of the many thoughts that pass through our mind do we pay attention to and repeat to ourselves? You know? What are our mantras? I am lousy, I am terrible, I'm hopeless, you know. And it's just a thing of attention, you know, and habit. Yeah, so we have to change the habit, put the attention on something else, and then it's like, you know, and then it's like, 
the whole world looks different. You think the world changed, but it didn't. Only the mind changed. Yeah, very often what's happening in the present and the difficulty that they're having now. And so from a Buddhist view, you know, what you look for is more habits, yeah, and how those habits are getting played out now. And so in a Buddhist thing, what, you know, You'd, you wouldn't have to trace the cause of that habitual attitude or reaction back to childhood, but it's just sufficient to see what is the habit as it's playing out in our adult life. And if tracing it back to childhood gives you some new information and some understanding, great. But it's not always necessary to do that because sometimes you can just deal with the with the you know, the disturbing attitude as it's coming up right now. Okay, so that's, you know, about the, the causes of the disturbing attitudes. There's, you know, there's really, it's so interesting because every time I teach this, you know, it's like I understand different things about it and different things come up. So I think also, you know, the more you think about this and keep this in mind and look at things in, in your life in this way, then, you know, the understanding really deepens.